Hello. Hello. You're very welcome to episode 54 of FNI Rap Chat. Uh, really good one this week. We've got uh, Frank jo- Shoulders. Um, Say that again really slowly for Frank the... Frank Shoulders. Shoulders. Um, so he directed a <laughs> film called The Man Who Wanted to Fly. And it's currently in cinemas uh, around the country. Um, it's going to run in the IFI until the 18th. We'd really encourage you to go see this one. We, we both loved it. In the cinema. Yeah. Um, it's... It's a lovely duck um, with lots of surprises and emotional kind of, uh, I wouldn't say twists and turns, but... Catches you down. Yeah, yeah. Way! And it's about... <laughs> taxi. Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's just lovely. And if you've any sort of appreci- appreciation for your elders, I think it's a, it's a wonderful examination of a couple of different... Uh, so you can be surprised, just issues. Yeah, not to judge a book by a cover. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a real, it's a real. As you said, Paul, it's kind of a an air puncher at the end. It's um, mm. it's real uplifting. Uh, another pun, but uh, yeah, yeah the, don't the, underestimate it. it. It's it's lovely. Yeah. It, it's a great piece of work. Um, and yeah, great conversation with Frank. Um, very varied background as a writer and working in. Uh, He's a journo, journalist, yeah. journalism and current affairs docs and uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, cool. It's great. A playwright and a man of the world, so it's great to sit down and chat with somebody like that. You know, yeah, um, yeah. sound man. So, all good with you, Paul. Yeah, all good. Uh, F and I news. Yeah, you've got something cool coming. Yeah, we're doing. We're trying something pretty experimental. We're going to do a nationwide. Networking night, uh, with <laughs> it's it's basically like like chat roulette, but for <laughs> filmmakers. Um, we did a little bit of a test on it last night with some new software, but like this company, um, um, we'll give them a plug uh, uh, another time. Are giving us uh, h- helping us. We're we're trialing the software essentially to uh, get as many people online as we can to network in a capacity in which people normally would network at events. So you'll have a certain amount of screen time, uh, and then if you want to follow up based on that lovely, uh, sincere, discreet conversation that you have with somebody over five minutes or whatever, you can contact them afterwards. So it's uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's uh, brave stuff. Cool. So, yeah, it's going to be up and down the country as, as well. Keep as an eye on the social networks for information how to register beforehand. It's on the 26th of April. Between seven and eight o'clock, I think that's a Friday. And I guess the idea is people who can't make it to networking events in Dublin. Yeah, if you've always said, "Oh Jesus, why didn't I go to that?" Mm. You know, go to this. Yeah, and cool. great idea. From your, it doesn't work on mobile devices, so it's laptop and desktop only uh, for this round. But keep an eye on social networks, and you'll you'll find out how to register Facebook. Uh, and as always, if you'd like to buy F and I a coffee. And help us in our unsubsidized work. You can go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI forward slash FNI. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, as always, get in touch if you want to give any feedback on the episodes or anything like that. Um, please just uh, yeah, on uh, any of the social networks or leave a review. Um, recommend it to a friend. And now we go to Frank Shoulders. Uh, 
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of uh, The Rap Chat uh, with the two Pauls and the one Frank. How are you today? Oh, very well, thanks. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we're catching you in the middle of kind of the release for uh, The Man Who Wanted to Fly. So uh, is it a bit of a roller coaster of emotions when your film is in the cinema, or have you? is it is your job done at this stage? Um... I don't think it's ever done, really. Um, we finished it about a year ago. Yeah. We were working on it for five and a half years. Wow. It's out a few weeks. It's going to California at the end of the month to the Newport Beach Festival. Um, it feels like it's the start of it now in another way. And certainly, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've watched it. And each time watching it, it's... Was it good? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually won one eye I'm in the kidding, audience. I loved it. I loved it. I've one eye in the audience because it's a bit like seeing how things hit or where they hit or what... Every audience is different. Yeah. The film is the same. Um, and there is a consistency about where things work and then other times it's very different, you know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of this pathos really a mix of uh, humour and uh, sadness within it uh, but it's what's so gratifying you know when you say like at what point are are we in or when I'm looking at it I just feel it's so gratifying to see people engage with it in a way that increasingly it feels less and less ours or mine mm. it's it's now it's on its own feet and uh that's not a bad way that's good it. yeah yeah um yeah because it's it is one of those real audience films and was that always the way you had intended to to make it um it's funny like there wasn't an intended way to make it, it there was a very very broad aspiration with this and uh because it started as myself and Dave Perry, uh, the uh, DOP, we were we wanted to work on a project of our own um, yeah. outside of current affairs, outside of everything that we, it would be ourselves to just go with something and see where it, it took us really. And whether it be a short, whether it be a, you know short doc, or uh, we we'd see. But we wanted to do something that would be our own. And uh, so when it started, there was no way of telling them where it was going to go. Um, how long it would take? We didn't foresee it'd be five and a half years. Really right. didn't. Yeah. Um, it could could have been longer. <laughs> but um, so like, uh, for me, the idea for people who aren't familiar with the the story is just that it revolves around the man who wanted to fly is one man now in his eighties, Bobby Coote, uh, who lives at home with his brother Ernie who's a couple of years older uh, neither married and so they live in the same house but they have separate front doors so they have very independent lives so at various stages uh, and from the outset the intention for me was to enter their world at their pace for the duration of the film and if we could do that um, and once we understood it, the, the rhythm of it, the tempo of it, then that would have been, if we got that across, then that would have been enough. And that was enough of a guideline for me in what we want to do. Whether the audience wants to be there or not was secondary. 
Yeah. Uh, but what we found is that the audience do like being there. They go mm. in and they join them, join the brothers. Uh, and for the, the duration of it, um, as they discover pretty quickly into it, it's not an ideal homes exhibition. Um, <laughs> the, but whatever kind of reservations audience, audiences might have about the sort of detail, they get over that very quick. For God's sake! They, but they they then just go with the characters and and yeah. forget about all the the bits and pieces. But uh, the electrical wiring in Bobby's house has uh, sparked sparked a few. Um, I think if there's any electricians in the house, <laughs> they watch that and say, oh, "Here, let me add it." You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you come across them? Yeah, how did it come to you? Yeah, uh, Dave uh, Dave Perry, who shot it. He lives in Baileybury. He's originally from Newcastle. I'd worked with Dave quite a bit. And, uh, he, he's actually into flying himself. And he was out in a paramotor, which he describes as a sort of a hairdryer connected to a hanky. <laughs> and, uh, he was out flying and he noticed this white speck underneath on the ground. So uh, the paramotor is a kind of monoplane uh, cross between a glider and a, well, something else. But he was, he was flying and he, he he noticed at various stages this speck underneath him. When he got home, there was a ring at the door. He got, went to the door, pulled it open, and there was an awful standing there in the baseball cap. And uh, he noticed over his shoulder this white Suzuki IQ. And he says, that's the white speck. And anyway, <laughs> the fellow in the baseball cap says, uh, was that you up there in the sky? And um, Dave says, yeah, why? And... Uh, <laughs> Bobby, it was Bobby Coote, and no. Bobby says, he found uh, him. He uh, found I, you guys. I, I want to do that. That's and that was the beginning. That was actually the beginning of, wow. the, of the whole project. Incredible. That's so unusual because usually it's the filmmaker chasing <laughs> down someone and trying to convince them. And it, it's, it's like I say, it's we were looking for something, and something found us, right? That's guys. Um, and so. Was it? Did you have to kind of cajole him into the actual movie making side of it at all, or was he was he up for it? Yeah, well, he was well initially because he told Dave you wanted to fly, and Dave said, "Well, I don't know if I can do that, but I can, but I can make you a cup of tea." So <laughs> they were didn't had a long chat, and that's where Dave learned what the situation was. And so then Dave was talking to me. He says, "Well, there, you know, we were talking about." various ideas we'd kicked around and here is an idea and what about this so when we started looking into it what really turned it for me was when I heard that he lived with his brother and his brother had no interest in flying right so this yeah. this was something a different thing that because the uh, the pursuit of a dream it has its own kind of draw and uh, that was pretty attractive but you know that could be a short. Yeah. Um, how long? How far would that get you? You know, if it never happened. So it was revealing an influx of different narratives and subplots as well. Or yeah, organically. Well, it just broadened because it, it, we didn't know if if the brother, the other brother, would have been keen to come aboard because yeah. uh, obviously Bobby was out and he was he was trying to make something happen. We didn't yeah. know anything about Ernie, so we went over to the house then. We'd met Bobby and then we met Ernie and we put it to them that we were looking at starting something. Were they on? And uh, to our delight, he was. And that then, with the two of them aboard, you could then approach, you could get into much deeper themes because you're into ageing, isolation, technology, 
changing social patterns mm. and family and history. Um, mm. And it wasn't simply about a man wanting to fly anymore. It, it was far richer. Mm. Uh, and that's what really grabbed me about yeah. it. Yeah. Because I think everyone knows two bachelor brothers like that or that kind I have of an uncle like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not that not of that age, but he will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's in the making. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you know were you kind of when you were kind of pitching it, was that part of it that there was a a, a familiarity for an Irishness to the story kind of thing? Um yeah, it's funny. you know, Bobby, as anyone who's seen it will know, did not go about his his pursuit of his dream in the kind of standard orthodox manner and neither did we when it came to making the film because we just started we didn't we didn't go to a company we didn't we just started right we put our hands in our pockets and started working on it uh we funded it ourselves for a few years right um then we did get to a point where we could only bring it so far the story had evolved mm -hmm. uh we we're about three and a half years into it at that point um, and for a long period within that, very little happened. So I think Beckett might have cornered the market and dramatizing nothing happening. <laughs> so I don't know how far, like things had to change, but also for us to move it from a project into a production, we needed mm -hmm. uh, to go to a production company. So I had worked with um, Loose Horse before and I was really happy to meet the producers because Trust was a huge thing. We were, it was a delicate enough thing because it was myself and Dave up to that point. It was only us. It was a two-man crew. Uh, that was it. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want to disturb that because the characters, they'd got used to us. Uh, they got used to really stripped down kind of unit coming in um, rather than us enlarging into something else. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to keep Compl the intimacy Being of unaware of cameras and all that. Yeah, kind of they'd stuff. got used to it. So yeah, if yeah. we'd come in and just say we, we started Light, more lights crewing up lights, because actually you'd have noticed anyway that uh, as far as possible we shot natural light. Mm. There was only a few scenes that were lit up. And they became comfortable with that. And over a long period, you're not looking midstream to change that. And uh, so... Loose Horse were very keen with the idea. The idea had sort of taken its form that we were st he was still pursuing the dream, yeah. uh, but we had already entered a, a really rich vein of of what the f where the film was going, yeah. and uh, and uh, the producers were really uh, taken by that, and they were keen to get behind it. And it was with them then we we cut a promo, went to the uh, film board or Screen Ireland, and. Uh, they liked what they saw, and that was the encouragement to kind of the impetus really to push on. Then, mm -hmm. so it gave us another year and a half. Without giving anything away about the ending, was there, were you ever concerned or worried that you didn't have an ending or a conclusion for the film? Yeah, it's a really good question because, uh, yeah, uh, it, a lot for a lot of it that I, to me. You know, if you're going back to, say, the pursuit of a dream, what happens if that's a disappointment? Mm. Uh, how do you, you know, create the story around disappointment without it being, you know, I mean, disappointment is fine or, or not achieving a dream. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know how does it work in film and mm. uh, would it work? So we really did have to consider that we weren't saying that, X, Y, or Z had to happen at the end to make this 
uh, any more real than it was, but it was just that in terms of a narrative, um, where would it go if it was... It, it 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 could go anywhere that but but where did that leave us and um it doesn't really give that in a way but at various points uh things did go awry seriously awry for bobby and um it was almost like a parallel journey because just as he had this aspiration to fly we had this ambition to make a film yeah so when he was grounded to some extent, so were we, but that became part of the story. Like, how was he going to get out of that? And uh, how were we going to tell it? So us, him being stuck, became an integral part of the story. But subliminally, we were stuck until he got out of that. Right. And uh, the helping hands that did come into it, I think that's it's kind of reflected and certainly something the audiences are picking up on that um, not only was it up in um, in Newton Ards where there's a flying school and uh, where uh, the helping hands that came in, it was people who saw him with the dream and uh, literally just wanted to help him get there. And, and also his, his neighbours and friends yeah. around where they live in, yeah. in Cavan. It was extraordinary, the, the goodwill, but the goodwill kind of bounced on to us as well because right. everybody at that stage knew what we were doing yeah and um so yeah it, had it not panned out the way it did it would have been a very different film yeah um and i don't know if it would have worked and that's the honest truth yeah. um but it was something that you had to entertain that yeah uh the two boys are getting older um anything could happen or it was five and a half years with them anything yeah. could happen uh, if one was hop- hospitalized or yeah. or worse yeah. It was always a possibility that there was no way of us sort of planting this is how this story is going to go because it wouldn't work like that. Yeah. Mm. There's a sincerity in that as well. You can see it and you really can. I think that's really important to it, uh, that Bobby might have been going backwards, but we were following him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the way, dream, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. The dream never Dream left. is still alive. Yeah, like that's, that's yeah, yeah. what's consistent. It, that would have been a different film if he if he lost the passion or lost the dream. But as long as you had that, that that was the spine of the film. We knew when we met him first and Dave met him first and then when I met him that he actually was known around Baileyborough as the man who never flew <laughs> because he was the fellow who was always talking about planes. Down, down the bio saying, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'll fly one day kind of thing. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was. He talk about planes and... And he was slagged off then as the man who never flew, and he knew it. He mm. knew that, so uh, he said, "You know, I want to change their story," and uh, that's the way he put it. And so he, it, for I suppose a lot of people it might have just not, you know, finished them off. But for him, it galvanized some stubbornness or something that he wanted to prove them wrong, and yeah. uh, he wanted to change it. But time, time was ticking, and yeah. uh, it was against him. Yeah. Um, so he no, he wanted no longer to be the man who never flew. <laughs> but, but incredibly, look, an incredibly talented indivi- individual as well, just in relation to the craftsmanship of the fiddles and yeah, like an incredible individual, it, head full of brains. As yeah, the brother says. That's right, as, <laughs> as his brother says. Um, you mu- like you must have when you got into it. You must have been incredibly surprised of the depth of these two individuals. 
I think we all underestimate people. Yeah. Um, and this was something that um, if you met the two lads, you you know, I think you'd underestimate them. Um, then you go into Bobby's place and it's a bit chaotic. And then you see what he does. Uh, and he just has it the way he wants it. It's as simple as that. But he he makes violins from scrap wood. He makes clocks, fixes clocks. And all the, the things that he turned his attention to was born out of curiosity and a kind of this a burning intelligence on how does something work. And that's actually how he got into violins because he was really curious. How does it make that sound? And he took one apart. Then he put it back together again. And then so figured he'd uh, try and make one. So um, trying to get across to Bobby in the making of a film that we needed to get him making a violin from the very start. <laughs> and it's not that he makes them every so often, because it takes weeks, months, uh, and really fine work. But at one point, uh, he, he told us that uh, he was after finding a piece of wood, because a lot of wood wouldn't work. And uh, he'd found a piece of wood that uh, was perfect. And was, okay, right, do not go near it. Do not touch it. And uh, then when we went up, he'd actually progressed it because he thought this was helping that he said, uh, <laughs> well, you know, save you waiting around for it and look at this has come on really well. And uh, so we had to wait until the next find, which was literally, it's in the film anyway, but uh, he found it, it, it clambering over a, a fence into a, a shed full of waste wood and... Uh, He's like a gazelle, and you have to remind yourself he was 81. And it was just extraordinary. Yeah. But he, he fashions this absolutely beautiful piece of uh, it's a, this instrument. It's a little bit of magic. And um, <laughs> when when he made it, uh, and you're looking at it, but when he, when he was making it, actually, there was something so beautiful about the craft that... that it was a man who loved doing the work he was doing and the beauty of the work. Uh, and the other, and it was the same thing that got him interested in clocks. But in the layers that I was talking about, say, within the film, uh, it's a really important point, is that he left school when he was 13 and Ernie was 14, I think, when he left. Mm -hmm. And uh, their school experience was atrocious. It was, mm -hmm. it was absolutely... A horror show that he, he so when he left his reading and writing wasn't uh, wasn't great he'd tell you that himself and it really limited his horizons and yet he has this um, absolute intelligence not mm. to be confused with academic mm. intelligence he, he's just he's so bright mm. that he compensated f uh, because the the um, literacy issues kind of dogged him, and even to this day, and and that's also something that's pretty apparent. Mm -hmm. And how important was it? You, you you touched on it earlier that, that it was this, it was the, about the relationship between the two, because um, it is a funny. That's where really the humor in the film comes from. How how did you mm. see Ernie? His part. <laughs> Anyone has a, that has a brother will see parallels yeah, yeah. there, you know. Yeah, I I think that sibling rivalry uh, <laughs> is alive and well in your eighties. <laughs> um, yeah, the, that dynamic. Yeah, you're right. It's at the soul of the film. It is that dynamic, um, and that when you're looking at the brothers in action, they they live independent lives, but they're I don't real I don't think they realize how interdependent they are. Mm. 
Um, it's funny uh, even because you have shots of the house and they look like different houses, but they're tacked onto each other. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of, that's their uh, <laughs> their personalities. It, it, it's not, it, it, yeah. It's yeah, it's symbolic a in a way, isn't it? It is really, because the, 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 the original house is where Ernie lives and then they did the shed and then there was a, a house tacked on and that's where Bobby lives. So it's kind of one roof, two front doors and a shed in between them in the middle. And uh, <laughs> uh, these fellas do their own stuff because at various stages you'd, you'd ask them, uh, you know, are you happy here? Would you, cons- what about down the road? Or, you know, and it was kind of darker kind of ideas, I suppose, about going to a home or something like that. But uh, these fellas don't want to go anywhere. For yeah. as long as they can, and, and why would they? And in that way, they're I think they're quite inspiring. Yeah, yeah, well, de- definitely this spirit. Yeah, and Ernie kind of he does his own thing, and <laughs> <laughs> he certainly <laughs> does. Yeah, that's the, like the the, go- the go-to phrase, isn't it, for someone in the family who does their own thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. His, he's a character. Does his own thing. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background in filmmaking? How you got into making films and journalism? And yeah, um, storytelling. We storytelling. Yeah, it is storytelling in the end because uh, this is the, my first uh, feature. Um, I have a few different hats, so you know, I work in um, broadcast journalism, work in the you're your playwright also, aren't playwright. You? Mm-hmm. Yeah, work in stage, theatre, um, radio. Um, work in the investigations unit in RT so that's current affairs very different um, mm-hmm. and yet like even though the, the so, you know they're different in many ways whether you're you know I used to work in print journalism um, did a lot of sports work is that when they yeah those paper like paper <laughs> There People was. used to like buy paper. And <laughs> I still prefer reading the paper <laughs> than reading off the screen any day. Um, yeah, me too. This, yeah, at least your undivided attention goes to it. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you're you spend long enough looking at the screen, but um, getting into uh, I I had studied. Uh, I mean, just going back a good while, but uh, d- did communications in what was the NIHE now DCU, um, and. Uh, there wasn't really the, in Rat Minds at that time. There was a, an audiovisual kind of component to that, and there wasn't really an era. So we, a few of us, set up one. Uh, we'd set up a group. There's five of us. We called ourselves the Kinky Bitch Productions. <laughs> student days, um, and uh, we 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 had great crack just making stuff we, uh, mm-hmm. that we'd show in the common room and stuff like that, and yeah. uh, it was all highly self indulgent, but great great crack. And uh, <laughs> and then I had written a. A short story, uh, which um, then w- the same group we we adapted it, and um, I was working with the uh, so it was, w- it was quite a communal effort, you know. So uh, technically, I suppose I was directing it because I was working with the actors, soon as it was my story. But and uh, the others were far more technical in the group than I was on uh, camera and uh, and with editing. I just really enjoyed working with the actors and. Uh, Actually, looking back, one of the bit roles there, Aidan Gillen was one of the uh, played one of the smaller roles. But really? he, he may have gone to bigger <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. Some people might have heard of Aidan Gillen. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and it was uh, that was after college. Then I was writing. I wrote and directed a number of plays. One, the first one was around the corner in the Academy. What was the Academy? When it was a theatre for a while. After it was a cinema. 
and it was called the other side. And uh, it, thinking back on it, it was pretty bad, really. But uh, it was something that was so enjoyable. There's 21 in the cast. There was music in it. And uh, it, it's like, you know, it was <laughs> high ambition uh, and uh, whatever we delivered. But still, we really enjoyed it. And mm. working with actors was, was something that I still, I, I just... It's it's a great collaboration, but in moving on, like from say theatre, then um, working through whether it's in broadcast, whether it's current affairs, or now with this, uh, the, the collaboration also with technical crew like camera and with editors, it's something I just really enjoy that mm -hmm. as well because it's just pooling talent and it helps if you have an idea what you want and if other people can help you achieve it or else if they have a better idea mm -hmm. that they bring to improve your idea uh, you know and so it's just uh, it's it's a very long way of answering a, a pretty general question but it, it's it is about telling stories in the end mm -hmm. and the vocabularies are different but the fundamentals are the same I think if you care enough about what you're doing or about what you're writing or broadcasting about or, you know, like I, I script write as well. And uh, so everyone has different styles, different approaches. But to me, the common theme is about how to tell something that is of interest. So say with this, this is a documentary. And one of the big things for me was that there'd be no voiceover in this, that uh, if we did, w if we were going to enter the brother's world, yeah. we didn't need to direct people by telling them what to think. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't Big Brother, you know, yeah. 244 outside the yeah. cute household. Well, this is a more, you had more of a cinematic vision for the for the film. Yeah, it was through the visuals and uh, Dave Perry, who I worked with, uh, he, you know, this was the challenge to him, which he just delivered in spades. Yeah. And um, but it was better to think that way rather than I think televisually we're getting really uh, down a rabbit hole about being told how to interpret stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you obviously you you saw this as a feature film or a film from the start, not as a, a television. No, yeah. like it, it will eventually be on TV, but yeah. I, like I'd say to anyone, it's the cinema's where to see this. It belongs yeah. on the big screen, and the first time we saw it was the the premiere in, at the Palace in uh, or Palace in mm. in Galway at the Fla, mm -hmm. and it was the first time we saw it on a really big screen. And this was a real test because sometimes things that end up on TV they look a bit stretched and mm. it's like they're overreaching. Yeah, and yeah. we saw it and myself and Dave were sitting up at the back and uh, it was half 12 on a Thursday it was full it was sold out and we were delighted with that and then yeah. it came on and there it was on the really on the biggest screen that we'd so we'd seen it obviously in you know larger formats but this was if it was uh, if it wasn't up to it, it was going to show, and it was actually the opposite. It really lived there. We were we were just delighted. Yeah. It's brilliant. A massive thrill, I'd say. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah really. And it'll it'll that'll <laughs> be with us. Uh, even still, like when the lights go down, and yeah. in any cinema, and you see there's that anticipation. And I we shot the opening. I had that in mind from an early early stage that this is how we'll enter this house. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give it away, but mm -hmm. it was just that this is how we'll get there. Because to me, as it kind of evolved, it seemed to me like this as a story of two brothers. 
the title is about one of them, but one of them is leaving the ground, going out into the world, and the other is bringing the world in. Mm. And uh, so we were the world being brought into their house, and uh, uh, we'd see what happened. But um, yeah, it, it's still it's still a thrill. It's yeah. you know it, it is still a thrill. And you're going over to Newport. Are you going to be able to go over yourself? I don't think I can. Okay. Uh, I think I'm tied up uh, with yeah. other stuff. Um, Newport Beach. Um, the main thing is the film is there. It would be really nice if hopefully Dave can go. Um, but the main thing is it's getting out there. Yeah. And it'll be really fascinating to see what um, audiences abroad make of this. Mm -hmm. Because to, for my money... These the two lads could be from if they were Greek shepherds, it would still be as <laughs> charming and as as kind yeah. of intriguing yeah. uh, as and relatable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it's universal. it's universal. It is. I mm. probably agree. It's. I think it's. It is universal. Mm -hmm. uh, and this will be something that uh, you throw in the the Cavan lang use of language, <laughs> yeah. Cavan pacing, uh, <laughs> and uh, y you've you've got something extra then. Yeah. Uh, but. It's uh, it it's going to be really interesting to see that outside an Irish setting, how will this go? <laughs> how will it go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think from what I hear about Newport, is uh, they love Irish stuff there, and there's be a, could probably be a couple of hundred people at it. Um, so I, I'm sure it'll go down very well. Have, have the brothers been to any of the screenings? They have. Yeah, they came to Gaffa. Oh, lovely. Uh, up, up there in neck of the woods. It was up in Kells and it was a beautiful day and they arrived and early, like people <laughs> coming up shaking hands with them because there had been a screening on before but they got to the, the, the next one and uh, they were a bit puzzled as to why are people coming up shaking our hands and <laughs> saying, well done. And Ernie pulled me aside and he says, what's all the fuss about, you know? Why Why are they asking us, you know? Why are they asking us about what we do? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were placated then with champagne and ice cream. And, uh, <laughs> I think they're developing a bit of a taste for that, actually. Oh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they... It, actually, it's good, it's good to ask that because at the end of the, the, the shoot, the shoot, the shoot, five and a half year shoot, um... Myself and Dave had a, we we had just a qualm that would the lads be okay with this because over such a long period they'd have forgotten mm. like any of us would some of the detail that they'd spoken about and some of it was very personal mm. and they'd gone into stuff and they were honest and candid enough to mm -hmm. s speak openly and uh, they might they wouldn't know they never saw a frame of. During the shoot, they never asked, but uh, it would have been. I didn't want to draw their attention to it that they'd be s more self-conscious about the filming then after. So it left it. Mm -hmm. They were happy enough with that. So we said uh, before it went anywhere, we'd show it to them first. So we were up in Dave's kitchen with Dave's wife, my wife, and the two lads, and it was like lights down and let it roll, mm -hmm. and we sat back and. I was delighted to see that they were both uh, at different stages laughing their heads off uh, at themselves yeah. uh, because <laughs> there they were. Oh, and that, then must have, that must have been a sigh of relief moment. It was a big relief, but then there were, there are moments in it that uh, are very are profoundly kind of that really matter to them. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And this was just a concern. Would they be comfortable? Because this was suddenly being very public mm. with their uh, really private worlds in a way. Mm. So anyway, the lights came on and um, there was a bit of silence. And so anyway, I said to Ernie, him being the older one, I just said, uh, so Ernie, <laughs> what do you make of it? And you can be honest. And uh, he thought about it for a second. He says, well, now, it's good. <laughs> so... I think in Cavan speak, this was the imprimatur we were waiting for because that uh, Bobby was happy with it. But I can see though that this is a family trait because one of their brothers was on in the Odeon up in Cavan there yeah. the other week, and uh, uh, the third brother he came down because he couldn't make some of the the festival screenings, and he came down, and uh, and I asked him the same question after. I said, "So you know, you can be honest, like just tell us what what you make of it," and he says. Well, now, it's quite good, <laughs> he said. I said, OK, well, listen, I know where you're coming from. <laughs> oh, um, what's next? What sort of stories do you want to tell next? Do you want to keep making documentaries or more playwrights? Or um, I, I'm actually um, I'm on the fourth draft of a screenplay for Metropolitan at the moment. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's just as a dram, but it's based on a, a book. Um, uh, by Gary Cunningham, who was in Mount Joy, uh, so that's a totally different project. Uh, Juanita Wilson will direct that. Wow, cool. Um, so that's it's in train. Um, I'm, and that's something I had been working on. Uh, but then, for where for the current affairs work, that's what I'm st- steeped in at the moment. Yeah, but. Down the road, like uh, I love the idea of like I in the journalism I worked in, news journalism never really appealed appealed to me. You know, mm-hmm. even though there was an adrenaline sort of kick with it, but it never appealed to me. It was feature work. It was always feature work because mm-hmm. that you could spend longer with uh, the issues or the people that you were working with uh, to understand things a bit fully more fully, and uh, so similar like with uh, docs that. Um, that you could spend time to get a, a deeper understanding of, you know, or, and also that people would trust you to go a bit further. Uh, so myself and Dave would love to work on something, you know, again, uh, preferably a bit shorter turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, just open to a couple of things uh, and then, um, I had a, a screenplay uh, which was drama uh, that I had been working on before because I had taken a couple of years uh, leave, unpaid leave, mm-hmm. to get the film finished mm-hmm. and to work on a script that I was working on, which was drama, uh, which I have a stage play of that as well. And uh, it's actually just um, something that I found was that and I'm sure others who he- listen to this that it's quite difficult to get started uh, if for writers or writer writer directors if you don't have stuff behind you it's mm. hard to get it's hard to get gri- for scripts to be to get them even seen mm. even synopsis that, that for all the production houses in town yeah um, there's a lot of talk I think about uh, this nation of storytellers and how open the door is for those who are 
working or trying to start get started in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, I think a lot of the companies don't have uh, they're not equipped. Um, d- you know, they don't have the personnel to read yeah. through scripts mm-hmm. or you know t- to look for stuff that's that they haven't commissioned. Um, but I think it's a difficult. It's a really difficult thing to break into. Uh, it, it does strike me that okay, the I think the documentary work that's going on at the moment is. It's outstanding. There's mm. really good docs, and there's there's no kind of issue with that. But where drama, where um, or drama in cinema, drama and TV, where is that? Where is it? Uh, I I believe the talent is out there, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know whether that is what you're the way you, you put it is that the 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 gap, but. Mm. I just think that we we could step back from there's a lot of self congratulation going on here about um, how talent is being encouraged. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it actually. I think there's a lot of talent that isn't being encouraged, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not. That was my experience, but I am not the only experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I'm not the only person who's gone through something like this, and I don't know what the answer is because a lot of production companies are two or three people uh you know it's production company a name then they assemble the crew they need and that's it's great as a working thing but um there is a lot of um there's a lot of the same names cropping up over and over again and it's hard to to raise this without it sounding like uh you know you have a big beef about it but and i think people are a bit cowed a bit afraid to say that what steps do you think could be made to to remedy that um, well, I think to be fair, a lot of production companies are not equipped. They don't have the resources to, you know, meet, get, go through scripts uh, and cultivate that. But if they can't, well, who can? And, you know, whether it's something, you know, you're saying like if it's RTE or, or through the film board who do a lot of really good work or uh, Screen Ireland, they do a lot of uh, the training work. Um I don't have the answer, but I just I think that it's it's extremely difficult. The, the the general route seems to be to you know do a short, and then go from the short. And it's a bit like if you proved you can do a short, then you can, you know, we might trust you a bit further uh, to build up a kind of back catalogue on that, and that's fine. But is that the only way? Mm. Yeah, especially if you have a career, you have other stuff to show it's yeah it's a tricky one i've been on the other side when you're reading scripts that are coming in and it's uh the production companies are are often just overwhelmed and um even and the funding bodies as well because they have to read everything that comes in and it's uh it is hard it's uh, there's a lot of people out there wanting to get made in that as well um i think they're you know always trying to find new ways of investing in in training and developing talent i suppose it's, it's an yeah. advance if they're if the companies are represented because time 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 pressure is so real that it is difficult to to get people it is hard to get an ear and you know so the the sort of pressured pitch mm-hmm. like it's all time is compressed and yeah. so if but does it then filter back um you know is, is there attention i mean there's got to be there's got to be a lot of good ideas out there. 
I think it's just it's it's a tough area. We've say going back to going back to this, the man who wanted to fly is is out there now, and we got we got great help from Screen Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, without them, we we wouldn't have got it over the line, um, and it really it, it's hugely appreciated. Uh, it's out there now, and. Um, we're it's just it it feels like we're we're enjoying this because uh, these things are not we don't we didn't arrive here easily it was uh, it's been a long long trip and um it's just that we wouldn't take any of it for granted so of it's course. just something uh, uh yeah we just we are enjoying this <laughs> i promise <laughs> <laughs> no 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 and so you should it's it's a lovely piece of work um yeah, look, it, it baby steps kind of thing with these things, I guess. Uh, there are, uh, people seem to be taking more risks in, in the Irish film and television world on new talent in, to a degree. At least we're seeing new work on screen, and you know, which is good. Um, uh, a question we like to ask is um, if there's any tips that you could have given to yourself when you're starting this five uh, years ago when you were starting starting out on that journey. If you could just give yourself a shake. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure there are. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are. Uh, but I suppose it, my the, the route I went isn't um, a fairly standard one because I would have been moving between media, yeah. you know, through different things. So I did find one area pretty much informed the other um, in that it does go back to the the other you know whether it was radio or or uh, stage or whatever that that was t- you have a nose for a story it, well just on how to uh, how to tell one mm. uh, you know for what grabs you but uh, I th- I think um, a bit of patience uh, doesn't go astray because uh, things don't happen overnight um, and uh, that f- there is a within people who work within film i think that there is a great generosity as well um in that when people help you uh you know listen to them um because people have been there uh just you know crew the you know cameras camera men women directors and that who who have done what you want to do uh I think it is a bit like the Bobby Coote story in that they see, often will see in you where they were. And um, I think that that is, it, it's genuinely there. So that those helping hands, um, they're busy people. So when you do get to talk to them, just make it, make it worth your while. I don't mean, you know, squeeze them dry. It's just, uh, but, you know, they, th- people will help. I think people will help when they can. Um, uh, sorry, I don't have any, thing. I, I would have a lot of things that I could have learned uh, better <laughs> along the way. Uh, but I, uh, my learning isn't finished. So yeah. um, I'll come back to you on that. <laughs> well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time, and congrats and congratulations on the film. We we both loved it. 
Go and see Thanks it in much. the cinema. And it's on f- in the IFI. Uh, where else? Uh, yeah, run to, in the IFI till the 18th. Uh, Thursday, the 18th, is, it's been extended. Uh, it's on in the Odeon in a number of the cinemas. It's in Odeon Kulak uh, and then various cinemas around the country in Odeon cinemas. Uh, but it's running in Cavan and uh, it's been doing fantastic. <laughs> All in there. Cavan. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's on the Lighthouse for and a couple of screenings. Uh, you'd have to check. It was on in the Gate in Cork uh, and the Palace in Galway. And again, you'd have to check them for the particular screenings. Mm. Uh, continued success. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, man. This is Chris Fitzgerald from a podcast called Right Stuff. Just letting you know that if you're interested in reading or writing or just listening to interviews with interesting people, tune into Write Stuff and hear interviews with novelists, poets, songwriters and people involved in the writing and publishing industry. Past episodes are with the likes of Colm Tobin, Donald Ryan, Liz Nugent, Emer McBride, Michael D. Higgins. So listen in. Write Stuff.
I did find that um, I had, uh, I thought I'd made some sort of strides that I had a, a, a screenplay that I was I wanted to get uh, considered. Mm. You're not presuming anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I spent quite a while then, you know, as anybody does, where you're knocking on doors. Um, for it to be considered even as a synopsis or even a, pre- a shorter three page or four pager and um i i was taken aback actually how unreceptive places were to a new idea from somebody who was uh not young relatively new but um i i just come back from the pre-europa just won the uh won the pre-europa with a radio documentary and so going back to the whole thing of knowing how to tell a story that you figure well I know how to tell the a man story. knows what he's doing, you know, given. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, is that was d- even in a different genre, a different, mm. yeah. completely different medium. But I mean, you are talking about 